What's up? What's up? Hey, I'm so glad to see you guys this morning. I think we're going to have, it's going to be an incredible morning. There's going to be some different things that I'm going to do that you may not be used to. I have a little bit of an illustration, so just be prepared. I'm not going to ask you to get up out of your seats. We're not going to move or anything like that, but it's going to be something cool, and I think it's going to teach us uh, a major lesson that Jesus is trying to illustrate in the the text that we're going to be reading today. I don't want to waste any time, okay? We're not going to get up here. I'm not, you know, the good mornings, that's all. Now it's time to get to work, right? Now it's time to learn something. We're going to put some some application in our lives. We're going to be sent out these doors so that we can go out and make disciples like Jesus has called us to, amen? All right, so this morning we're going to be in Matthew 5, uh, verses 13 through 20, okay? And, and, and before we dive in, just, just a, a little update, nothing has changed. We're still in this series, and in this series we're, we're trying to uh, understand, right? We're trying to understand that Matthew, in his writing, in this book, has, has, uh, his intention was to teach us that Jesus is the Messiah, what does that mean? What is a Messiah? It's the anointed one. Jesus was the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of everything, every prophecy, every law in the book of Moses and the Old Testament. He was the fulfillment uh, of that. And that means that he is the Messiah. And so because of that, our sole job and responsibility is to believe in him, in that, and to confess that to the people around us, to the world, right? He says that we should go out into the world and, and confess that he is the Messiah. So let's get started. We're going we're gonna to begin in verse 13. Uh, it says this, and this is Jesus speaking. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? There's no longer, or it's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Keep that in mind. But rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And we'll continue on in a bit. But I want to start right here because uh, last week, right, Grayson came up here and he teached us, and, or he taught us, teached us, what in the world? He, my wife is a teacher, and I'm up here talking about teached. Um, Grayson came up here and he taught us about the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are the characteristics of kingdom people. That's all you need to know. And so what he's saying whenever we read this, blessed, blessed are you, right, blessed are you. Uh, he's saying that these are the characteristics of people that are going to be in my kingdom. And so in the same way, he's saying you should have these characteristics as, as well. You may not have them today. It doesn't mean that you already have them, but it's a work, you're a work in progress, right? How many of us are ready? ready you know, we're, we're all good. Everybody's perfect in here, right? We're all perfect. No, none of us are perfect. We're all just trying to make it another day, and we're trying to get better and better so that we can uh, one day... Uh, be with Jesus in all perfection, right? So uh, that's what Jesus, uh, or not Jesus, what Grayson taught us about last week. Um, and then this week, right, Grayson gives me this, uh, this, this text, and he says, hey, this, this is what I want you to preach on. You know, you got this week. This is all you. You are salt. Grayson, what are you trying to say? 
Like, exactly. Like my, my kids call me salty, right? They've, they've probably called me salty once or twice in my life. But, but Grayson, I mean, if you wanted to say that, you could have just said that, buddy. I mean, what are, what are we doing? And so Jesus, as he is teaching the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples and to all else that would, would want to hear, uh, he says, you are salt. And it, it's easy if we're just reading in, in our daily devotion time, right? It's easy to just read, hey, you are the salt of the earth. Okay, let's keep reading. Don't know what that means. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I've never been called salt before in my life, but if that's what it says, we're just going to keep reading. You know, we've only got, what, 15, 30, maybe an hour devotion time, so we're just going to knock it out real quick. But what I want you to understand and know that whenever you see something that may not seem normal, whenever there is something that may... Uh, like peek out to you, right? If there's something that catches your eye that doesn't look like, uh, it doesn't seem normal, right? To be called salt, what you need to do is you need to stop, right? Because in this moment when we're reading this, Jesus is asking us, hey, take a moment, right? Take a moment, read, like look into this. I'm trying to show you something. And so what we have to do is we have to understand the context of the day that Jesus is, is, is speaking to these people. Because salt in our day, today, right, everyone has salt in their house. Every, I can guarantee that everyone in this church right now has some salt in their house. If you don't have salt in your house, you don't understand flavor, right? I don't, I don't understand how you can eat stuff without salt. But when we look into the context of this day that Jesus is speaking, we can understand that salt was much more than just something that was used to uh, make something more flavorful, right? Salt was a very uh, high commodity. It was extremely valuable during this time because not only was it used as seasoning, it was used as that, but it was also used uh, to preserve, to pre preserve food, right? They didn't have the Samsung refrigerators, right? They, they didn't have that just sitting in there sitting in their house. No, they used salt if they wanted to keep food uh, fresh for a long period of time. Not only, it was also used as currency. And so a lot, in the, especially in the Roman times, Roman soldiers would often be paid in salt. That's how valuable salt was. It was also used as healing, as we know today. I mean, uh, my wife, Brittany, just got her wisdom teeth taken out, and one of the instructions was, hey, you need to rinse your mouth out with salt water as much as possible. It will, it will help heal up the wound, right? Um, but if we could take a moment to sit on the, the currency part, what if you were working and your boss came up to you and said, hey, you've been, you've been doing a great job, right? And because you've been doing a great job, we want to reward you. So, hey, we got this pound of salt. We got this pound of salt. Hey, you're doing a great job. Expect to see you next week. What would you say? Don't play with my money like that. <laughs> hey, I am an hourly associate, and I do not work for salt. I work for dollar bills, okay? I'm going to need that check. Um, but maybe, right, if, if we could try to put this into our context, right, if we could try to just relate to these words this morning, what if, just for instance, humor me, what if, what if it was Wi-Fi? What if it was, what if it was cellular service, right? If you, if you didn't have Wi-Fi, if you didn't have that unlimited plan through Verizon, right? Uh, 
What if it was some extra gigs? Right? What if it was some extra cellular service? Maybe that would change the way that you look at it. Maybe I'd say, hey, how many gigs are we talking about? I mean, we got five gigabytes, 10 gigabytes. I mean, what, what's, what's, what's the coverage looking like? Am I going to have access to this, to this service? That Wi-Fi and cellular service is a high commodity in our time because we all have cell phones. We all have access to the Internet. We all need to have it. It is a necessity. Right. Uh, even I mean, the government offers um, free phones because in our day and time, a cell phone is considered a necessity for life. In this day and time, salt was considered a necessity uh, for them to continue uh, providing for for just what we were talking about. If it seems odd, don't just keep reading. Because God has something for you in the mystery. And that's, what we, that's why we're here. To learn about the mystery of God. So when Jesus says, you are salt. He is saying that you are incredibly valuable. You may not see how valuable you are. The world may not show you or tell you how valuable you are. But Jesus is saying, to me, you are precious. To me, you are everything that I could have ever dreamed of. And because of that, I want to use you. You are useful to Jesus. You are useful to God. Isn't that good news? We don't have to worry about whether we are worthy. We don't have to worry about whether we're worth it. God has already said that we are. And so because of that, we shouldn't allow the world to creep in and tell us anything different. Our worth has already been defined. It was used to give more flavor. It, salt took something that was good and made it better. I wish Barry was here this morning because I would have asked him, hey, Barry, Whenever you're making, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're doing your briskets and stuff. If you know Barry, Barry is into the meats, okay? He's, he's the meat man. All right, that's what they call him in high school, the meat man. And uh, I would ask Barry, hey, how often do you use salt whenever you're preparing these meats? And I can guarantee you that he would say 100% of the time. Because if you ain't using salt, it's not going to be flavorful. All right, there's not going to be any flavor. Jesus in this moment is saying, hey, you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. You should bring flavor to the world. You should bring flavor to the people around you. You should bring flavor. We were put on this earth by God for God. Our neighborhoods, our communities, our schools, our, our, our work environment, our homes, should look better because of us. Because we are the salt of the earth. Everything that we have our handprint on should look better because God has his hand on us. Amen? Not just church, right? Is that surprising? Whenever we come to church on Sunday mornings and we're in here and we're praising, we're worshiping, we got our hands up, right? Everything is all good. But then whenever we go out of these doors... 
we go home, right, what, does, our, does our life echo the same sentiment as a Sunday morning? Or maybe Monday mornings, whenever we go into work, we clock in, right? As soon as you clock in, does your life echo the same sentiment as, as your Sunday mornings do? Whenever you're, you're speaking to your coworkers or how you speak to your wife or your husband or, or your, your partner, whatever that may look like, your kids, does your life echo the same praise and glory that you give to God on a Sunday morning? That is the question. Everything should be better because of you, because you are salt. But then Jesus offers us a but. He says, but, right? And that's super important because that gives us something that we need to know. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He says if, if salt loses its flavor, very simply put, it's good for nothing. And so as I was researching uh, this this week, and I actually had a conversation with Grayson about it, um, and, and he asked me, how, how can salt lose its flavor? Can salt lose its flavor? And, and the immediate answer is no. Salt in itself cannot lose its flavor. But when, when other minerals, when other, other toxins are, are entered into the equation, salt then can lose its flavor, but it's only when something else is added. We should not lose our flavor. The only time that we will lose our flavor is when we allow the world to enter into our faith. Your faith should be so steadfast in the Lord that, hey, the world may throw whatever it wants to at me, but I, it's not going to affect me because I'm strong in the Lord. My joy comes from the Lord. We have to make a daily decision every day whenever we wake up. Hey, this morning, my joy comes from the Lord. My joy comes from the Lord. You may need to repeat it to yourself, write it on your mirror, uh, change, change the background on your phone, whatever you have to do to remind yourself that, hey, my joy is from the Lord and the Lord alone, and no one else uh, will have command of that. This is a quote. I didn't come up with this, but it says, to be told that we are the salt of the earth is to be told that we are valuable and very useful. The world needs us. And for whatever mysterious reason, Jesus has decided that he needs us too. As the salt of the earth, we are both valuable and useful to God and to God's world. Very simply put, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He could do everything on his own if he wanted to, but instead he chooses to use his people. He has chosen uh, to use his own people, but all we have to do, it is our responsibility to believe in him, to confess him, and to share that with the world. That's all we have to do. Do not be good for nothing. Some, some of y'all need to write that down. That's, I mean, if that's all you get from this morning, don't be good for nothing. Be good for something. And then in verse uh, in 14 and 16, he says this, He's talking about light. He says, you 
are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is an interesting statement because uh, if you would, uh, in John 8 and in John 9, if you would just flip there for a moment, I want to show you something. I have it pinned, so I'll get there before you will. It's just a, 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 a flip of the page in two places. Before Jesus calls himself the light of the world, he calls us the light of the world. In John 8, in verse uh, 12, it says, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He doesn't say that you are the light of the world because you are light. We could never be the light that Jesus offers. We are like a broken match that has no purpose. But with him, you can illuminate the world. With him, we can stop complaining about the things that we want to happen and we can be the change that we want to see. With him, he is the light. And then in John 9, just a flip of the page, in verse 5, he said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We can only be light because he is light. We can only have access to this light because we have access to Jesus. He is the light within us. And we can only by his grace and his love and his mercy reflect the light that he has given us. We are, in a way, light receivers and light givers. It doesn't stop in between. Right? Jesus has not commanded us, hey, this is, this is a secret. I have light for you, but you have to keep it to yourself or it might run out. And that's what I feel like a lot of our lives look like. We're just trying to keep this light to ourselves because we don't want uh, it to run out. We don't want the flame to die down. But Jesus says, no, no, no. The light that I have is everlasting. And he kind of uh, uses this as a point to tell his disciples later on, hey, I must go. Because they don't want him to, to leave. But he says, I must go so that my helper can come to you. His helper is the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is the light that we have access to every single day. At every moment, we have access to this light. But it is our responsibility to share it with the world. To share it with the people around us. You know, yesterday, uh, we had this Go conference. And... Um, Grayson loves making us uncomfortable, and so he had us sit down with someone that we weren't able to have a, you know, weren't too close with, um, and so I sat down with Jonathan, even though I'm really close with Jonathan, 
this, it, it, there's a point to the story. So we sat down and we were telling each other uh, our stories. And the whole activity was to learn how to tell your story in at least five minutes and what kind of questions you kind of want to search for. And so as we were telling each other our stories, you know, there was a lot of things that I didn't completely know about Jonathan. And there were some things in my story that he didn't completely know about me. And so it's not that we weren't sharing the light with each other, but there's more light available. There's more light in that relationship available because the, the closer that Jonathan and I, the closer that we can grow with each other, the closer uh, uh, or the more light that we, have, we will have available to share with others. Right? This church is not meant to be uh, a dead light. This church is meant to be a lighthouse where the light should be shining so much in this church that the community will have no choice but to say, hey, what is going on over there? Worship and praise in the morning should be so not loud as far as like speakers and stuff, but our congregation should, should be so uh, uh, just filled with praise and glory that the community should hear us. From the other side of Clifton, we should echo. Because we have the light. What I want you to understand is Jesus doesn't challenge you to become salt or light. He says you are salt, the salt of the earth. He says you are the light of the world. And we have to understand, this is a hard thing to understand, that we are either fulfilling that command or fulfilling what we are or we are failing in what we are. You are either, either fulfilling the fact that you are salt and you are a light, or you are failing in the fact that you are salt and you are a light. What I want you to understand is you, you never know how important light is until you don't have it anymore. And I know this uh, personally. A couple of years ago, uh, we were living in an apartment. And Brittany and the kids, uh, they go to Ohio because that's where Brittany's family is from, not mine. Uh, you know, I would, I would never have family in Ohio. Uh, just can't do it. Um, <laughs> but every year at the beginning of July, they go to Ohio to spend time with her family for the, for the 4th of July. And so I was at the apartment by myself, and which is fine. I mean, I don't, I don't you know, struggle with that at all. I mean... You know, it was nice having some peace and quiet for maybe like once in my life, right? And so then everything was going fine until there was a power outage in Inman. And so the, the power was cut to our whole apartment facility. And so if, if you don't know, if you don't have power, you don't have lights. If you don't have power, you don't have internet. And where we were in Inman, apparently that means I don't have cell service either because nothing was working. Nothing in my life was working while there was no lights. And so I always complain to Brittany about how many candles we have, right? Every time we go out, it feels like we buy more candles. But for some reason, I don't know where they're going. Like, I don't, I don't know, are we, are we, like, giving these candles away? Like, are we lighting a village that doesn't have access to power? I don't know where these candles are. I've never seen them, but some... Somehow we always need them. And so, again, during this week when there was no power, I don't know where the candles were. 
And so I'm searching for candles, and I can't find them, so I'm just, like, having to live in the dark. I didn't think to, like, maybe call a friend or, like, go stay at my dad's house or something like that because I just didn't. But because I didn't have access to light, I couldn't do anything. I was limited in what I could do because I didn't have light. And in the same way, God, or Jesus, in this moment says that you are light. And then he offers this explanation. He says, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. And so I have an illustration this morning. There's been a basket right here. And if you can look closely, you can see that there is some light poking out. But without looking, there's a lot of people looking now, you didn't know it was there. You didn't know that there was light under this basket. It was not fulfilling its purpose. It was not fulfilling what it was created to do, which is to light the space around it. We have lights on, which is fine. But this is what I feel like a lot of, oh Lord, my knees. Uh, This is what I feel like a lot of our lives look like. We go out into these spaces and these places, these coffee shops, our, our work or where we live, our communities, our environments, and we keep this light that we have been given under a basket, right? On Sunday mornings, the light, the basket's off, and we're able to show our light, and we're praising, and we're, and we're worshiping, and, and God is so real, and he's, he's right here, and he's available right now, but that doesn't change when we leave these doors, But for some reason, through fear and through comfort, we have this basket that is, I don't even know how I'm going to move this. We have this basket that is covering our light. And it may may be this, you know, you leave church on Sunday and you're like, man, I'm on fire for God. I'm going to talk to all my friends about Jesus. I'm going to invite them to church. I'm going to talk to my one I'm going to invite them to small group, like I'm going to have a conversation with them about Jesus, and then Monday morning comes, you walk into that coffee shop, and you're just like, man, like, like God, I'm, I'm still with you, I'm still about it, but like, if someone comes up to me and asks me about Jesus, I'm going to tell them, but they have to come up to me. Like, if someone sees, like, my Bible's on the table, and they're like, hey, I wonder what he's reading, like, I'm going to tell them, but they have to come up to me. That's having a basket on your faith. That's, that's having a, a circumstance or, or a chain, right? We, we put all these um, kind of different circumstances on our faith. But when we decide that we're going to go out and we're going to effectively share the transformation that's been in our lives, I'm going to tell someone about my story. I'm going to go to work this week. And I've been praying for my one, and he's, he's at work. You know what? I'm just going to talk. I'm just going to mention it, right? I'm just going to say, hey, can I, can I talk to you? Can I tell you about my story? And so just by these little acts, we can, we can pull the basket off the light. See, it's not hard. It's not hard to take the basket off of the light that you have inside, right? But the, Jesus even goes further, right? Because this light, it's still not fulfilling the fullness of its potential because it's on the it's on the floor and so we can continue to take these little steps until jesus jesus says hey 
No one puts a, puts a lamp under a basket, but instead they, they put it on a lampstand so that it fills the whole house. Guys, we have to be, we have to come to a place where we understand the power of the gospel in our lives. We have to come to a place to where we understand the power of our story and, and how it can be beneficial in the, in the greater story of the kingdom, right? Jesus, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. We have to let our light shine. But it goes back to the What is the light? The light is Jesus inside us. We have to be committed to sharing the gospel and sharing Jesus with the people around us. Hey, here's, here's the news. If we, if we stepped out of our comfort and we shared this light, the good news with the people around us, with our friends, with our family, with our coworkers, how much different would this place look? It's no secret. We have seats here for a reason, and, and we don't care about filling the seats, but we do care about changing lives. We do care about filling the kingdom. That's what we're put here for. That is the whole point of what we do here on Sunday morning. It's not about coming here and, 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 and you know, yeah, we can, we, can, we can praise and we can worship and we can fill ourselves up, but if we're, if we're not doing anything with a full cup, then we are being good for nothing. We are being good for nothing. And so whenever we come here on Sunday mornings, we have to be committed to the fact that, hey, I'm going to fill myself up because that's what Ephesians 4 says about the church. We are to, be, we are to equip people for the work of the ministry, but it's not going to stop there. Once I leave these doors, oh, man, Satan's going to be scared. Satan's got a problem. Satan's got a problem, and it's me, right? I'm going to go out. I'm, I'm going to tell my whole family about the gospel, I'm going to walk into this coffee shop. Hey, I pray that the Spirit would just, would just lead me to someone who needs the gospel. Lead me to someone who I can have a conversation with. And if you have trouble with that, that's okay. That's okay. It's not easy stepping out of your comfort. But can I tell you something? You may change the trajectory, trajectory of someone's life. By taking one step out of your comfort zone and having a conversation, putting your light on a lampstand instead of under a basket, you may change someone's life. You may change someone's life. Jesus calls us to share the light, not hide it, not keep it to ourselves. A light that is hidden is of no use. And it's just like he said with the salt that loses its taste. It is good for nothing. We as Christians should live a life that attracts attention. Not because of our own glory. We should not live a life that says, hey, I want to do so many good things that people recognize me. I want to do so many good things at church that... You know, one day, I, one day I get on staff and I can get paid for just worshiping and praising God. That's not what it's about. It's about making the name of Jesus known to all. We have to be intentional 
with the light. Because, hey, here's the, here's the other thing. The light is not just for people that you like. It's for people that don't like you. It's for people that you don't like, but even more, it's for people that don't like you. Because that's even harder. It's hard to have a conversation with someone that you know doesn't really like you like that. But the light is for them too. And we have to be willing to step out of our comfort and into the grace of God. Because once we understand that, hey, you're having these conversations, but it is not you saving these people. It is the Spirit of God working through you, through your conversation, reaching into their, the depths of their soul. Because, hey, can I tell you something? At the very depth of our soul, we desire God. We desire to be back in relationship with our Lord, our Father in heaven. In this text, Jesus says, so they, so, uh, so they may give glory to your Father in heaven. It is the first time in the New Testament, and in, in Matthew and in the New Testament in general, that uh, God in heaven is, is uh, called our Father. It's the first time. And so for the first time, the disciples of Jesus and the people that are around are given access to a relationship with God. A relationship that is so deep that he says, God is your father, your father in heaven. And then, Beth, if you would like, I'm, I'm getting ready to close. I've been up here long enough. And then, beginning in verse 17, Jesus reaches back into something that he'd mentioned uh, back in chapter 3 before he was baptized by John. Beginning in verse 17, he says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things, all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches, teaches others to do so uh, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And back in Matthew 3 and verse 15, where Jesus um, is asking John the Baptist to baptize him, John the Baptist doesn't want to. In a way, he's saying, you want me to baptize you? I, I should be baptized by you, and, and you ask me? And then Jesus says this, let it happen so we can fulfill all righteousness. And then here again, he echoes the same sentiment saying, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus didn't have to prove anyone wrong. He didn't have to prove the law wrong. He did have to prove someone wrong. His whole earthly ministry 
was meant to prove the law correct and certain people wrong. Because what had been lost in translation is the fact that the Pharisees and the scribes and these, these group of um, church leaders had taken the law of the Old Testament, Moses' law, all the prophecies, and they had twisted them to mean whatever they wanted them to mean. I think the same can be said for the church today. Even in the South, we, we still take certain rights to, to take God's scripture and to twist it to mean what we want it to mean. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to free it from the wrong interpretation of people. Nothing was wrong with the law from the very beginning in the Old Testament. Nothing was wrong. We have talked about, we've been through the Old Testament. We've talked about some crazy things, some crazy things. But nothing was wrong with the law. People came in, sin entered the world, and it twisted the law to mean something that it was not intended to mean. In his life, Jesus was perfect. And to say that something was wrong with this old law, with the Old Testament, that something is wrong, is to say that something was wrong with Jesus. And that's just not true. He embodied every command of the law of Moses in his own life. And his nature, his very nature was perfectly conformed to God. And then he says, for truly I tell you, that means this is important. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. There are some people in this room and some people in our church that are that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Your, your heart has been hardened. And it may not be your own fault. It may, not, it may be a part of church hurt. It may be a part of how you've been brought up. But you've been brought up to, to learn and understand that some things uh, taken out of context have been twisted to mean something completely different. But in Romans 10, Paul writes this in verse 4. He says, Christ is the end of the law for believers. The law is no longer our means to righteousness. The law no longer uh, is not our way into heaven. It is still important because it should lead us to Jesus because Jesus is our only way into heaven. Jesus is our only way to righteousness. And once we are justified by Jesus, he points us back to the law for sanctification. And then one day, when we reach eternity with our Father in heaven, we go through a process of glorification. There's a lot of vacations. All right? But there's three that are really important. I'll explain them to you. The first is justification. Justification is what happens whenever you first enter into a relationship with Jesus. Justification is what happens whenever you first hear the story that your soul has been yearning for. The story of how Jesus in all of his righteousness, left his throne in heaven and came down to live this perfect life that we could never live. He did not sin ever. 
but still he was punished. He took on every sin that would ever happen, every sin, every doubt that you've ever had in your life. He took that upon himself and he was crucified and he was buried. The death that we should have had, the death that we have earned, Jesus took that on himself and he died. He was buried in a grave, and Sarah Grace, Sarah Grace did, a, did a great job of mentioning this uh, during worship. He was buried in a grave, but he, she said the grave was not his to own. It was borrowed. Mm. And in three days, he rose again. He was resurrected in victory over sin, over death, over every sin that we would ever come in contact with. He rose in victory. Because of that, we can put our faith in Jesus and have a way to one day have complete access. We have access to his spirit and everything that it offers, but one day we will have a place in heaven with our Father. We'll have complete access to all of his righteousness because we will be made right because of the blood of Jesus that we sang about earlier. But once we are justified, then we and everything's not all flowers and rainbows and sunshine after that, right? We still have a life to live here on earth with Jesus, and we enter into sanctification. And what happens in sanctification is we get plugged into our local church, we start serving, we start going to our small group, and God is working in our lives. And it's not that we still don't sin, but we understand that even when we sin, as long as we confess and we repent, we come back to God, everything is made new. We are made new each and every day. We are set apart, and we are continuously just growing in the Lord through obedience. We have to be obedient to his word. And then one day, one day, once we pass from this earth, into our next life, we will go through glorification, where we will have we will have, we will have direct and unhindered access to God's presence in eternity, and we will forever worship and praise, and we'll have holy communion with God our Father forever. That is what this is about. That is why we should step out of our comfort and have these conversations that may give us fear but like I said before it may change someone's life forever because on the other side of that is it's either eternity in heaven with our father or eternity in hell because we don't have a relationship that is the very real aspect there are only two options and so we have to That is what salvation looks like. The Pharisees and the scribes, they, re they restricted God's law by making it mean what they wanted it to mean so that they could control their own righteousness. But for us, we have to understand that it's not about our righteousness. It's not about our glory. Our lives should only ever give glory and praise and honor to God in heaven to Jesus, to the one who saved us, 
to the one who shed his blood so that we could have a relationship, so that we could have a future. And it's only through the one who died and resurrected so that we could live. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, just your spirit being in this place. Thank you for the conversations that we've been able to have. Thank you for, thank you for your sacrifice. God, I pray as we continue in this morning that you would continue to work in our hearts, that you would continue to provide us with next steps so that we can, uh, we can continue to invite people into your kingdom. Lord, that, that is what it's all about. That we would go out and make disciples of all nations. And God, I pray that you would give us, the, give us the tools and the heart to go out and do that. Lord, we love you. We are nothing without you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you were encouraged by the message. At ID Clifton, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events, please visit us at idclifton.com. We'll see you next time.